host, Nick Jaworski. We bring you the business of recovery because those struggling with addiction need you to be here tomorrow as well as today. We join me here on the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Jaworski, CEO of Circle Social Inc., a strategic marketing agency and operational consulting firm for behavioral health and addiction treatment. Today, we are speaking with Eric Gestrin. He is the CEO of Dynamic Care Health. It is a digital therapeutic platform with the core of it constructed around contingency management, which is a really interesting modality that you don't hear much about. But before we get into that, I want to hear from our sponsors, the Global Exchange. The Global Exchange Conference 2022 is a four-day event of continuing educational presentations, workshops, and experiences from November 1st through the 4th. Located at Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, Florida, this event, for the first time ever, brings together professionals and organizations from the mental health, addiction, and wellness fields. With over 100 continuing education hours presented by over 60 professionals, this promises to be a tremendous learning and networking experience. GXC 2022's featured speakers include Deepak Chopra, Whoopi Goldberg, Gabor Mate, and Rob Lowe. For more information, go to globalexchangeconference.com. Eric got his MBA at Harvard and originally started off in the tech space, and then as he'll explain in our interview, found that addiction treatment could potentially use his talents and combined efforts with his father, Dr. David Gastrin, who is very, very well known as an ASAM fellow and has done a lot of extensive work within the field and uh, a man that I have seen speak and admire very much as well. So very, very excited to have Eric on. He is going to share with us what contingency management is, as well as a lot of the uh, challenges that's being faced if you do want to integrate this very evidence-based approach um, there are actually some policy obstacles and some reimbursement obstacles that Dynamic Care is working very hard to overcome in partnership with many others. So it was very, very grateful to have him on. He gave us a lot of his time to walk us through this very effective approach that definitely needs more support, I think, from us all in the field. So with that, let's jump in. Hey, Eric, really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today. Can you just tell us a bit about yourself and Dynamic Care Health? Sure, Nick. Thanks so much for having me. My name is Eric Gastrend. I am the co-founder and CEO of Dynamic Care Health, which is a digital therapeutics and coaching company focused on helping people overcome addiction. My background is as a tech entrepreneur and social entrepreneur. I ran a tech startup in the video game industry for three years, then did my MBA at Harvard Business School. And when I graduated, I was seeing friends and family members go through addiction, rehab, relapse, and eventually recovery. And my father, Dr. David Gastrand, happens to be a national expert in addiction psychiatry. He used to run the addiction research program at Mass General Hospital, taught at Harvard Med School for many years, was a VP at Alchemies, where he helped bring Vivitrol to market. And I said to him, you know, people go through rehab over and over again seems like the treatments in your field of addiction medicine don't actually work, do they? And he chuckled and said, well, actually, we have effective evidence-based treatments that work in study after study. It's just that no one ever uses them. And I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> so that led to a conversation on what are the evidence-based practices? 
what are the barriers to adoption? And then putting my tech entrepreneur hat on, I started wondering, could we use technology to help overcome those barriers? And we started Dynamic Air together six years ago with the mission of building evidence-based technology and services to help 1 million people overcome addiction and achieve health. Uh, we've focused our uh, technology and program around the concept of contingency management, which is a fancy term for motivational incentives, rewarding people for staying sober and staying engaged in treatment. It's an evidence-based approach with over 100 randomized controlled trials behind it. All the experts agree that it works, works across all types of substance addictions, uh, opioids, uh, stimulants, alcohol, tobacco. Um, in fact, for stimulants, it's um, the most uh, evidence-based and uh, one of the most effective treatments for it, given our lack of uh, FDA-approved medications uh, for meth and cocaine addiction. And so there's been a renewed interest in contingency management now, given the rising stimulant and meth epidemic in this country. And uh, we automate this motivational incentives approach through technology. We give patients breath and saliva testing devices. They do tests remotely over selfie video. And once we confirm that someone is tested negative, that they're staying sober, they earn rewards, financial incentives on a smart debit card that blocks access to bars, liquor stores, and cash withdrawals. So it's uh, really about positive reinforcement and gamification, um, which has been shown to dramatically improve uh, quit rates and retention and treatment. We see about two to three X increases in abstinence rates, negative urine rates in our studies, and also 50% increases in attendance and retention um, in uh, their traditional treatment program. So we're really excited about the opportunity to change the field. Um, I think, you know, the addiction treatment field, that every few decades, something new comes along um, to change the way uh, that addiction treatment is practiced. Methadone, buprenorphine, Vivitrol, naltrexone, I think that contingency management could be that next big thing. Well, I really appreciate that overview. And, you know, I don't think a lot of our listeners are, are probably familiar with contingency management. And so, you know, that understanding, you mentioned motivational incentives, right? And that can be financial. It could also be other things like maybe just um, positive rewards or gift cards or there's prize systems. Can you talk a little bit about contingency management in terms of the specifics? Like what kind of rewards are they getting? Um, how often do they get their rewards? That kind of thing? Absolutely. So typically contingency management is done with some kind of tangible or monetary incentive. It could be, you know, a chance to win an iPod, it could be gift cards, uh, could be some form of money. We choose to deliver incentives through a smart debit card. Uh, that blocks access to bars, liquor stores, and cash withdrawals. So it's an immediate delivery of the incentive because the, they have the debit card in their pocket and they can use it almost anywhere, but we restrict things that are um, similar to cash that they can withdraw for cash or to block harmful spending because obviously we don't want that funding to lead to a relapse. So with contingency management, Generally, it has to be in the range of $100 to $200 per month to be effective in terms of you know, the maximum amount that someone can earn. Um, at Dynamic Care, we generally do $100 per month. 
up to $599 total over the course of a 12-month program. So this isn't incentives forever. It's not an infinite amount of money that you can earn. Uh, it's not even that big of an amount of money you can earn, but it is substantial enough to be attractive to people. And one of the really important things is that the rewards be frequent and immediate. So you want to have people able to earn rewards multiple times per week, not just you know once a week or once a month. And uh, you want the reward to be tied immediately to the behavior. So one problem we've seen in contingency management implementations without our technology is if you're rewarding a negative urine test, but the patient comes into the clinic, they give the sample, the sample sent out to the lab, a few days later, you get the results back from the lab and it's in the EHR. A few days later, that gets turned into a reward for the patient. Now it's been a week since they had the negative sample and they might not be negative anymore. Or maybe they tested positive and now they are negative, but now they're not getting the reward. So I think it's by doing it through technology of uh, random breath and saliva tests, you do it over selfie video, we get the results immediately, the money's on the card immediately. Um, it really improves the effectiveness of contingency management and keeps it true to how the research was done. So it sounds like that immediacy or, you know, as timely as possible is really important. And then just from my own understanding and, and talking with other providers about uh, contingency management from a tech integration standpoint, it seems like there's a lot of just tracking and time saving organizations I've talked to really struggle with keeping track of when they came in. Was it a positive or negative result? When do they get the reward? How much? All that kind of stuff. So your platform really kind of solves a couple of those problems, correct? Correct. And yeah, I think when we started Dynamicare, we thought if we automate the process of contingency management through technology, that relieves a lot of the logistical burden from the providers. It relieves the training burden because you have to have somewhat sophisticated uh, reward schedules in terms of when do people get tested? How much do they earn for their first negative test, the second negative test? What happens if they test positive, they get reset in their reward schedule. So you're generally you have an escalating reward schedule. Your first negative test is worth $1, then $2, then $3 as you stay consistent. And then if you have a positive test, it gets reset back to $1. Um, so we automate all of that according to best practices from the literature. But we've realized there are additional benefits to doing this through technology. One is that traditionally contingency management had to be delivered in person because they were doing urine tests. With technology, you can do it remotely because we have people do breath and saliva tests at home, in their car, at work, over selfie video. Another benefit is if you're doing contingency management in person with urine tests, uh, patients might try to cheat the urine test to get the $10. So then you have to have witness urine tests, which is obviously uncomfortable in many situations. But by doing it through the app, through breath and saliva tests, we're able to have fully witnessed tests that are very difficult to cheat, but without placing that burden on the patient or the provider. And the patient really feels dignified in doing their own tests. It you know, puts them in control, it gives them that autonomy and that sense of accomplishment, similar to how a diabetic tests themselves for uh, glucose. And another benefit with Dynamicare is we... We find a lot of treatment programs and states' health plans are concerned about the legality 
of contingency management paying patients incentives for staying in treatment and staying sober. There's the Stark Law, anti-kickback statute, beneficiary inducement prohibition, all these federal legislation in addition to state laws regarding this. So Dynamic Care's platform has actually been vetted by the federal government, Department of Health and Human Services, Office of Inspector General, and we have received an advisory opinion letter from them stating that our protocol and our system does not pose any risk of federal sanctions. Part of the reason for that is by being an independent technology company, we have no incentive to overbill Medicare or Medicaid. So if a treatment program is implementing this, they have to be very careful in terms of not falling afoul of any of these regulations. But if they're doing it through technology, through Dynamicare specifically, we have that clean bill of health from the federal government um, that protects treatment programs legally. That's impressive. And you guys just got that OIG recommendation fairly recently, correct? I mean, do you want to talk a little bit about some of the policy work that you've been doing? Sure. So yeah, we got that opinion from the federal government a couple of months ago. It was uh, in partnership with the National Council for Mental Wellbeing, and they helped spread the news about it, and it got picked up in the Washington Post and national news media. So we're really proud of that. One of the things that is part of our mission as a social mission-driven company is to really change the addiction treatment system for the better by advocating for contingency management. We lack billing codes. There are all sorts of federal barriers to implementing this. And we're trying to work with um, the federal government and states to kick down these barriers and bring more evidence-based treatment to people all over the country. So getting that advisory opinion from the government was uh, one of those steps. We also are working with um, the state of Vermont their Medicaid program, making this available as part of a research study for Vermonters on Medicaid with alcohol use disorder. And we've also been working with a number of other states, uh, Medicaid treatment programs, Medicaid MCOs to make this available. So you mentioned like alcohol treatment disorder there for a second, or alcohol use disorder. Uh, from your perspective, is contingency management particularly effective for a particular disorder or have you seen it work kind of across the board? That's a great question. We see contingency management work across the board. We now have five published peer-reviewed studies on dynamic care itself, in addition to the hundred randomized controlled trials that already existed on the methodology. And our five studies show doubling to tripling of quit rates across stimulants, opioids, alcohol, smoking during pregnancy, and youth vaping. So that's really a pretty broad spectrum. I should mention for Uh, smoking cessation during pregnancy, we were recently awarded an FDA breakthrough status as a medical device. So if that progresses to full approval, that would become potentially the first FDA recognized prescription treatment for smoking cessation during pregnancy. There are other FDA smoking cessation treatments, but none of them are safe for pregnancy. So that's another way we're trying to change the system and get the federal government on board with this. I really appreciate the work that you guys have been doing around trying to advance the field. And, you know, I think that's something where you and I align from a mission perspective. Um, you know, I was at NatCon and I saw your father present and he had a fabulous presentation on contingency management overall. But so, you know, I'm familiar with the evidence as well. Some of these research studies that you talked about, 
But I think you mentioned in the beginning, you know, not many providers are using it. And you covered one reason there, some of the concerns around anti-kickback. But why do you think that so few providers have incorporated contingency management, given the high degree of efficacy we see in the research? I would say the number one reason is lack of a billing code, lack of reimbursement for it. I think it's very hard as a provider to offer a treatment that is not paid for, not covered by insurance. So that's something that we're trying to change. One area where you do see contingency management in a routine use is within the Veterans Administration. And I think that's a special case because that's a fully integrated payer provider system, right? They're not dealing with insurance companies. So the Veterans Administration decides they're going to pay for it and they're going to implement it and they're able to do the whole thing. Then the rest of the healthcare system, we have to work with the health plans to get it covered. And then once we have the health plans agreement to cover Dynamic Care's product, then we have to start working with the addiction treatment providers to start offering this to patients and integrate it into patients' uh, treatment plans. But that can be kind of difficult when you only have one or two payers on board within a region, because each payer might be only 10% of a treatment program's payer mix. And it's hard to customize the treatment plan for each patient, depending on what payer they have, whether contingency management or dynamic care is covered or not. So that's something where we're trying to change the system. We're trying to work more at the state level, simplifies that. Um, and also the Biden administration has announced that they want to make uh, increasing access to contingency management, one of their drug treatment policy priorities uh, to help deal with the stimulant meth epidemic that the country is facing. So we're really excited about some of these changes uh, that could be coming down the pipeway soon. Yeah, yeah, I think there's some massive change coming down. You know, even conversations I've had with Raul Gupta and Robert Kent over at the White House, they, they seem to have a very positive attitude towards it. And, you know, as you mentioned, I think it was just what National Drug Control Policy, that document that the White House administration published yep. fairly recently, very explicit that contingency management and other evidence-based treatments was going to be a core part of their, their strategy moving forward. Yeah, and I should mention not just contingency management, but also digital health technology, digital therapeutics, doing contingency management through apps is something they specifically mention and call out. And I think from a government perspective, there is an issue here where, um, you know, if you're going to be giving hundreds of dollars in financial incentives to each individual patient, that means you know, you could be giving that money to the providers to hand out to the patients, but then that money needs to be tracked. You need to make sure there's no fraud, waste, and abuse. There could be all sorts of issues and, you know, ways that that can be construed as kickbacks. So by having a technology platform to manage and track every single penny that's spent, um, that's given to a patient, and the reason why that money was given to that patient on that day is, I think, the only feasible way to scale uh, this up. It makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned the lack of a billing code being a major barrier, but even from like a, a nonprofit standpoint or maybe a county or state standpoint, like SAMHSA has been restricting grants, right, for a long time. Do you want to give a little bit of color on that situation? Yeah. So SAMHSA, here's my kind of understanding of the situation. SAMHSA was probably afraid that if they gave grants to counties and states um, that were then used for contingency management for hundreds of dollars per patient, that 
Department of Health and Human Services Office of Inspector General, which is the kind of police watchdog for Medicaid fraud, would uh, go after these treatment programs and grantees, SAMHSA grantees, for giving patients kickbacks, things like that. So SAMHSA, to be extra careful about not running afoul of their friends in the Office of Inspector General's office, created this artificial $75 limit on contingency management which is totally ineffective. I mean, all the experts on CM will tell you that. So as a result, there hasn't been much funding of CM even when SAMHSA funding is available, even when states and counties don't have enough stuff to spend that SAMHSA funding on. And when it is getting spent on CM, it's often not effective because of that $75 limit. Now that Dynamicare has gotten OIG on the record saying you can do contingency management at $599 per patient, $100 to $200 a month. If you have a rigorous protocol and technology to track the funds, that protects fraud, waste, and abuse. I think SAMHSA is going to relax that $75 limit rule they have and become more in line with this more recent uh, OIG guidance. Yeah, it's interesting because if, if I remember right, I think think it was at the OIG quite a while ago, not quite a while ago, but several months ago, came out with an interpretation stating that they didn't believe that that $75 limit was, was accurate. It was a misunderstanding in the field. But I mean, almost everyone you talk to kind of cites that. And so that word really hasn't gotten out yet. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, yeah, the OIG has been confusing because they have like a safe harbor that's under 75, but you don't have to stay within the safe harbor. But at least, you know, with Dynamicare's platform, we've created a system that clearly fits within federal regulatory guidelines. So you mentioned the barriers here, right? But clearly you guys have been dealing with this for a long time. I mean, what are some of the funding sources or let's say that I'm a provider or even a, a state that wants to incorporate something evidence-based like contingency management, what options do I have? Sure. Well, first I'll say where there's a will, there's a way. And <laughs> there's always a way to get this done if the will is there. Unfortunately, you know, with our political gridlock in the system currently and in, in many state levels too, uh, it's often difficult to muster the will. And, you know, with addiction treatment, I think it's easy for people to lose hope and kind of give up. But at the same time, there's more need than ever to improve the system and expand access to evidence-based treatments. So to give a more detailed answer to your question, there are a few sources of funding that have worked for us. One is commercial health plans definitely have the option and leeway to cover contingency management if they want to do that for their members. And we've found a number of health plans that are excited about being able to offer that. Another option is treatment programs can pay for it if they have non-SAMHSA grant funding, you know, philanthropic funding, research funding, things like that. It can also be paid for out of pocket by patients and families, especially families. Um, so that would be probably for the higher end of the market, serving wealthier customers who can afford that. Also, states can use their opioid settlement funding for contingency management. Generally, with the opioid settlement funding, there's very few strings attached. It's not tied to billing codes. Um, it's not tied to the SAMHSA rules. It generally just has to be spent on things that will help improve the opioid epidemic or the addiction epidemic in the state. So, and I'm 
uh, excited and optimistic that SAMHSA funding will be available soon for full value contingency management too. And so when you look at a dynamic here as a platform, you've got the challenge around contingency management from a reimbursement standpoint, but then let's just kind of talk about the digital therapeutic because dynamic here is more than just contingency management, right? How do you see a reimbursement or how does that work for you from just the whole digital platform perspective? That's an interesting question. We've found that it's actually very difficult for health plans to wrap their minds around this concept of digital health, digital therapeutic. They're not quite sure what bucket to put us in. So often we get a very excited reception from the clinical behavioral health people at a health plan. They like the remote testing, the contingency management. We do recovery coaching, peer support, coaches who are in recovery themselves who help guide patients through the program. We have self-guided cognitive behavioral therapy content in the app. So the clinical people love all of that of how we've designed the program. Then when we start talking to the business contracting people, they kind of start scratching their heads and they say, well, are you a provider? Are you a medical device? Are you a software vendor? Because they're trying to figure out what, first of all, what contract did they send us, right? Like which template to use? And then also how to do the accounting around it. Because with a health plan, depending on what bucket you're put into, you factor in differently to their medical loss uh, ratio calculation, which has a huge impact on their profitability. So it's a really interesting challenge for the whole digital health industry. Um, to figure out how to fit into this, whether you can bill through claims, whether there are billing codes you can use, whether you can create a bundle, value-based payments. Unfortunately, there isn't really a simple answer. Dynamic care in different situations with different health plans, we've done it differently. Sometimes we contract as a vendor. Sometimes we contract as a provider. Now that we have FDA breakthrough status for one of our products, we'll be looking to contract as a medical device too. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, it's such a fascinating conversation. I think um, I, I think digital therapeutics have to happen, right? I mean, when I look at just behavioral health in general, it's like, how do we provide long-term care for often chronic conditions, but how do we do it in a way that lowers barriers and lowers costs? Because cost is often a major barrier. And so by putting the tools in people's pockets, by eliminating, like you said, maybe some of the embarrassment, just the fact that you can do a, a urine screen or a drug screen from your phone rather than having to pee in front of somebody <laughs> significantly, I think, removes a barrier, uh, but it is challenging how to, how to integrate it. And I mean, I was talking to a couple of the heads of behavioral health for some of the payers fairly recently, and you know they weren't even sure. They're like, well, we're thinking about this stuff. And as you said, they weren't really sure which bucket to put it in or or another, literally, I think thousands of digital health startups at this point. So just sorting through the plethora of new providers, I think is a major challenge. When you look at it from that perspective, you know, have you had trouble standing out or how do you try to make dynamic care health stand out compared to all these other platforms or products that are hitting the market? Sure. I think in terms of making dynamic care health stand out, there's a pretty clear answer to that, which is if you have published peer-reviewed research demonstrating effectiveness in randomized controlled trials, that is a huge differentiator, especially as far as the health plans are concerned. And the fact is that 
99% of the digital health apps out there don't have anything like that. And that goes back to our founding of the company and my father being my co-founder, uh, being an addiction researcher. Uh, research has always been a really important part of our strategy and roadmap to demonstrate the effectiveness of our program. Well, appreciate the, the background there. I think it's definitely a move in the right direction. Just a little bit on the, some of the logistics and specifics. So if someone comes into the dynamic care platform and is using the app, like what's the average length of time that they use it? Oh, that's a great question. We have about half of our members complete the 12 month program. So we're really proud of our retention rates. You know, I think if you look at national data on buprenorphine, it's maybe at six months, you have half of the people yep. um, retained. So the, um, you know, and with buprenorphine, there's, you know, like the chemical hook for patients to stay engaged on it. And with Dynamic Care, we stopped doing the incentives in the past few months. The incentives usually end around month nine. Then we're still able to retain and hold on to the members. So it's you know generally a challenge with digital health tools and in addiction in general to keep members engaged. But I think the combination of incentives, accountability, and support through the recovery coaching uh, is a powerful combination. Yeah. I, I can't speak to digital health tools in particular, but I know like the average app use rate drops by like 70%, usually after the first three months. So the fact that you have people struggling with addiction, staying on 50% of them for at least a year is, is phenomenal. So other, uh, you know, other barriers, I know when I talk to people about contingency management, there are some traditional concerns that pop up. One you'll often hear is that people shouldn't be paid to be on a recovery track or that you're, if you're incentivizing them for this behavior, the second you take away the rewards, you know, they're going to stop doing it, which you just mentioned, you know, you're potentially not seeing. So do you just want to address some of those um, common concerns? Yeah, I think one of the interesting things to me as an entrepreneur in this space is I actually come across those uh, kind of ethical objections much less than you might expect. Obviously, I do hear that sometimes, but even in the political arena, there was a bill in California legislature, state legislature last year called SB 110, and it was proposing to make contingency management a covered benefit under the California Medicaid system. And it got the support of pretty much every healthcare organization in the state of California. It passed every single vote in both the upper house and lower house of California legislature unanimously, including every single Republican who voted on it, and uh, made it all the way to the governor's desk. Governor Newsom unfortunately vetoed it, but with the logic that California has already allocated $58 million to contingency management over the next two years, um, and they want to see how that pilot goes first. So... You know, obviously, California is a more liberal state than uh, others, so maybe that makes them more receptive to it. But Dynamic Care is also doing work in West Virginia, definitely not a liberal state by any means. So I think people are really struggling with the addiction epidemic in general, the opioid epidemic, the stimulant epidemic. They're looking for solutions. And, you know, for the stimulant epidemic in particular, this is the thing that works. So... I think people are receptive to it for that reason. 
And that overcomes a lot of the barriers. But the bigger barrier, in my opinion, is just the sheer uh, inertia of the healthcare system and the complexity of the healthcare system. You know, there's patient behavior, provider behavior, individual provider, but also organizationally, providers and health systems. And there's the health plans, the MCOs, the states, the employers, and the federal government. We need changes on all of those levels to make contingency management work. And so it's a very complicated process of changing a lot of things in parallel to try to get alignment to make this happen. Lack of billing a code is one really clear example of that, where it's hard for anyone to be aligned on what contingency management is and how to pay for it without a billing code. But um, I guess to answer your question about how would I address those ethical concerns about contingency management, I would say, look, it's this is abstinence-based. It's not paying people if they're not staying sober. Only if they pass a, a substance test can they earn the rewards. And also, this is cost-saving to the taxpayer. So you, know, you can say you don't want your taxpayer money wasted on this or addiction, but at the end of the day, it will save the taxpayers money to help people get sober, stay sober, and stay out of the emergency room. And there's a really interesting analysis on this from an independent think tank, the Washington State Institute for Public Policy. They found that contingency management is one of the most cost-effective interventions for taxpayers, not only within addiction treatment, but within healthcare more generally. So uh, I think once you get past the kind of ideological posturing and get down to being pragmatic about what can we do to solve a societal problem, contingency management starts to make a lot of sense. Yeah, it's an interesting question, right? I mean, because if we think about just our general approach to behavior, it's very cares and stick. If you break the law, you get a fine. If you don't, you're, you're able to drive along the road just fine. Or if you commit a major crime, you're going to prison. If you have good behavior, you get out. You know, so we're always doing these kind of rewards and punishments for people's behavior. And I don't know if there's necessarily anything really different about letting people go on their way versus giving them 10 bucks. I think there's, there's a very strong argument to be made there for, for the value of just taking approaches we use all the time and applying them, especially with just the efficacy that we've seen in the research, you know. Yeah, and I think one thing I want to point out, one misunderstanding people often have about contingency management is they'll say, well, we already have incentives in place. If you are using drugs, if you mess up, you're going to go to jail. And that's an incentive that doesn't seem to motivate people. On the flip side, if you get sober, you can get your life back, your family back, your job back. You can have a much better life. That doesn't seem to motivate people. The thing that that argument misses is that the human brain is miswired in a sense where we focus much more on immediate high likelihood consequences versus long-term probabilistic consequences. So small chance of being punished a year from now has very little influence on your behavior today, whereas an immediate opportunity for a reward has a big influence on your behavior. And with contingency management, we take those long-term gains, uh, rewards of sobriety, you know, getting your life back, relationships, job, et cetera, and we make those immediate and tangible in the current moment. 
You don't have to wait to get a year of sobriety to start experiencing the benefits. You get a benefit today, you know, even if that's just $5 on your smart debit card. And that immediacy has a huge impact on driving behavior change. Yeah, that's an excellent point, because I've even seen some research saying when you're really getting deep into addiction, one of the effects of that is disengaging the prefrontal cortex, which does tend to allow you more for long-term based reward planning. So, you know, if people already have that section of their brain being diminished or desensitized or disconnected, giving that as incentive is, as we've seen, not always effective, right? Whereas if you can gain or connect with this immediacy, end of things, which is exactly what drugs do when you're kind of replacing that from a contingency management standpoint, it definitely seems like you have a lot of potential with the, you know, going back to, you mentioned some research that you guys have done, but obviously you guys have data as well in your own patient base, anything else interesting within the data that you've seen that might be useful for people to understand that is particularly effective or hasn't been effective? Well, I think one of the biggest things is if you do delayed incentives, um, it's not effective. Uh, It actually cuts the effectiveness in half if you start delaying the incentives by more than a day. So the immediacy, really important. And that gets back to what you were talking about just now. And contingency management can work across all sorts of different populations and types of addiction, different substances. But you have to be careful in terms of What are you incentivizing? How are you measuring it? And also how much room is there for improvement? So, you know, one addiction treatment program we worked with, they were using dynamic care. They weren't seeing big gains in attendance. And we looked into the data. Well, it was because their attendance was already 90%. So (laughs) there's not that much room for improvement. But, you know, if attendance is at 20%, can boost that significantly. You know, a 50% increase from there would be uh, 30% attendance. So you want to incentivize areas where there's a lot of room for improvement, where the patients aren't currently doing well. Um, And then you can see really big gains. We often see in research studies that patients who are actively using substances, contingency management has a better effect size than patients who are sober at intake. And The patients who are sober at intake can get contingency management. They do better than the patients who are sober at intake and didn't get contingency management. They also obviously do better than the patients who were not sober at intake. But among the patients who are not sober at intake, you see a huge difference if they get contingency management versus if they don't. Well, I think that's a good point. And you know, we've been talking a lot about contingency management and your platform is a digital therapeutic, but the research is really clear that contingency management works in conjunction and works very well in conjunction with some particular modalities. Um, for example, like community reinforcement, even 12-step. So this isn't like a standalone or it doesn't have to be a standalone. You can absolutely incorporate it into your current programming. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, contingency management, it does have a good effect size on its own, but its effect is much stronger if it's working as a treatment amplifier, where it's being used in conjunction with therapy, uh, CBT, MAT, other treatment modalities. And what contingency management is really good at is dealing with the uh, retention drop-off issues. So, you know, even with 
buprenorphine, there's still a high drop-off in treatment. If you add contingency management to it, you can increase the attendance and retention adherence to the treatment. And then the buprenorphine has more of a chance to do its effect. So it's really powerful in combination. So if a provider wanted to integrate contingency management, whether utilizing a platform like Dynamicare or just trying to do it on their own, do you have any advice on how to do that? Um, so I would say if they're doing it on their own, they have to be careful, like I mentioned, about the regulatory issues around the anti-kickback statute and beneficiary inducement. You don't want to be publicly advertising your contingency management program as a way of drawing patients in. That's especially true if you're serving a Medicaid population. And then um, if you're using dynamic care, we take a lot of the burden and work off of the providers. But we find that when the provider logs into our portal to check on how the patient is doing, if the patient has been doing their substance tests, if they have been testing negative or not, we see much better engagement from the patients because when the patient shows up to their appointment with the provider, they know the provider is going to ask them, how's your dynamic care doing? I saw you missed some tests. Let's talk about that. And that accountability is really powerful. I liken it to going to the dentist, you always floss the night before you go see the dentist because you know the dentist is going to ask about your flossing, check if you've been flossing. You don't want to be embarrassed by that question, right? So that provider engagement is really powerful and helpful when implementing uh, contingency management or digital health, digital therapeutics in general. Okay. And then a specific question, you previously mentioned the amount. So dynamic care on the platform, patients can get up to 600 a year. You also made a comment that too little is not effective. So you said there was kind of like a base amount. Can you give some specifics? Like what is an effective amount? Is there a reason that you guys kind of cap it at that 600 a year? Yeah. So the effective amounts in the literature are shown to be around $100 to $200 a month that patients can earn. We do $100 per month. We found that to be effective using our system. We cap it at $599 over the course of the year. The reason for that is pretty simple. If you give uh, more than that, $600 or more, then you have to issue a 1099 form to the IRS. Basically, you have to report the contingency management incentives as income for tax purposes. And that just creates an additional burden and paperwork um, for everyone involved. So in some of our studies and implementations, we do go over 600 and issue um, those 1099 forms, but usually we try to keep it below that, which simplifies things a lot. But I, yeah, I think, you know, people say, can we do contingency management with $75? Can we do it with um, non-financial incentives like you know, good job stickers or verbal encouragement, um, telling the patient good job or congratulations, that stuff isn't really effective according to the literature. Yeah, that's a good comment. And then even conversations with your father, Dr. Gastrin, you know, he, he really emphasizes too that some providers will try and do like what's called a fishbowl or prize-based, you know, so they try and spread that $600 over the year and your name gets entered into a drawing and the name gets picked and then you get a reward, but that is also not as effective, correct? Yeah, the visual method, it's still effective, but if you have lower prize amounts for trying to stretch the money to make it go further and the patients can't earn that much, they don't frequently win things, 
that things are low value, it's not going to be as effective as doing what we call full value contingency management of up to $599 per patient. And our focus has been on trying to do the things that are most effective. Well, we've covered a lot of ground here, Eric. Is there anything specific that we haven't talked about that you think is worth discussing here? No, I think that covers it. That was a really great conversation. Thank you, Nick. Okay. Well, I really appreciate all the information. I'm I'm sure that this is really new for a lot of our audience. And so I'm sure that they found a lot of value in it as well. If someone wanted to contact you or get a hold of Dynamic Care, learning more, what would be the best way to do that? Absolutely. So uh, our website is dynamiccarehealth.com. There's only one C in Dynamic Care. You can Google it. It should pop up. And our email address is info at dynamiccarehealth.com. You can contact us through the website too. You know, we'd love to hear from you. You can also reach out to me on LinkedIn. My name is Eric Gastrand. I'd be really curious to hear what you thought. Well, again, thank you so much, Eric. I appreciate it. And to all our listeners out there, this is the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Jaworski, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Nick.